Let all of God's people say amen. amen. Welcome this morning to our live service. If you're joining us on one of our social media platforms, we're streaming today and we're thrilled that you're here. Thank you for logging in and participating in our service there from your home or from whatever device you're using. We appreciate you for worshiping with us. We challenge you, if you're not immunocompromised in some way, to come on and just sort of shake yourself and get back in the house of the Lord. I was watching this weekend stadiums filled all over the nation with college football games with 100,000 people. Walmart is filled, you know, wall to wall everywhere you go. And uh, I just want to just, just challenge you, if you've gotten out of the habit, shake yourself a little bit. Come on, get back in. Although, yeah, go ahead. Although I believe God is calling us not just to go to church, really God is calling us to be the church. Come on, somebody. This morning is number three in our series called Dig Down Deeper. We looked intentionally at a passage from the Gospel of Matthew that's very familiar to you. Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. I'm going to save a little time and not uh, go over that this morning. We've already done that twice. Matthew 11, 28 through 30. I want to jump right in today to the message text for this morning. We're calling this Prioritize the Word. Everybody say, put it first. Priority means first place. And so priority is, by definition, an order. You're ordering something in terms of its importance. I believe that too often the church um, lacks victory in areas because we have made the statement that the prayer is our last line of defense when it ought to be our first line of defense. And we ought to go to the Word of God first and not last. What should be last is that it should have final authority. When all the other voices have made their cases, the Word of God ought to have final authority in the life of the believer. If you believe that, say amen. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, that's critical, these people believed on Jesus. They were um, not just of the crowd, even though they were part of the covenantal people of God. They acknowledged that this is the one that they've been looking for, the Yeshua HaMashiach, the one who was coming all through the Old Testament for thousands of years. The seed is coming. The seed is coming. This one, the Messiah, is coming. Jesus showed up, and there were those who immediately had eyes to see. God opened their hearts, and they began to believe. And he said to those Jews who believed, If you abide in my word, abide minnow in the, the Greek, which means um, to remain, to continue. As a matter of fact, the King James says, If you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So it's one thing to take the step to believe. It's something else to continue to commit to, to follow through in the Word of God. And this morning we're going to talk about the importance of the Word in our lives. The book, the B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me. I stand upon the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Every little boy and girl in vacation Bible school learned that probably by the time they were three or four years old. Abide in my word, continue, remain, and you are my disciples indeed, he says, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Some quote that set you free, and I hearken back to the old original. I believe there's a distinction between set and make. You can be set free from prison and still be bound on the inside. The gospel not only makes you a free man externally, but he will make you a free woman, a free person 
a new creation in Christ, free externally, free internally, make you free. Everybody say, make you free. One thing, the word is foundational in the disciples' life. It's light to see, food to sustain, comfort to cheer, water to wash, and an example to follow. Multitudes of other things that we could use to describe the word. The Bible describes itself as the Christian's charter, as the traveler's map, as the soldier's sword. It's a river of life, a garden of pleasure, food to sustain you, comfort to cheer you. It, water will quench your thirst. But the scripture also says in Ephesians chapter 5 that we are washed by the water of the word. And so this morning we're going to look at some of these things. I, I believe that no matter how much you grow and mature and become a disciple of the Lord, you're never beyond the beauty of the milk of the word, the foundational truths over which we won't argue. They're essentials to the faith. They are salvific. They make a difference in your salvation. We believe in the efficacy of the blood of Jesus. It is the only thing that will save us. We believe in the virgin birth of Jesus. If he wasn't born of a virgin, then he's not sinless. If he's not sinless, he can't be my savior. Multitudes, when I say multitudes, there's really about 12, about a dozen big things that are foundational that we won't, we won't spend time arguing about. Either you believe them or you don't. And a lot of other things, multitudes of other things, there's room for a difference of opinion and for us to have liberty and grace for each other in the body of Christ. The, the beauty of this is that no matter how much you grow, you can always lean into the milk of the word. The scripture says in 1 Peter 2, 2, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. So there's something that will feed a newborn, new creation, a new believer. But when you grow and mature, then there's something else for you to chew on. You get some spiritual teeth. And the Bible talks about bread of the word. Bread comes from wheat. Wheat has to be ground. The individual stalk and grain loses its identity and it's ground into something in terms of becoming larger than itself. Oil, picture of the Holy Spirit, is added. And all of these, it's baked. So you talk about the sufferings of God that come in our lives in order to work something. And so bread that's been given to us is a gift from God. Jesus is the bread from heaven. The word, the Bible, the B-I-B-L-E is called the bread of God. But then there's something even beyond that. There is what the scripture calls meat in due season. It's for mature believers to be able to chew on some things, to get some real sustenance. And so every time we meet together, I attempt to provide a biblical, spiritual meal for you, milk for the newborn babes, bread for those that are a little bit more mature, and then meat for those that are walking in the Lord in some deeper things. And so we have a sandwich, we have bread, and we have beverage. We've got the milk of the word, the bread of the word, the meat of the word, and, and there's something for everybody at the table of the Lord. There's something for you to eat. There's something that will sustain you, something that will guide you, something that will guard you, something that will challenge you and cheer you. Somebody say Amen. One thing, the word is foundational in the disciples' life. It's light to see, food to sustain, comfort to cheer, water to wash, and an example to follow. I say what I'm about to say because I need to hear myself say it. You need to hear me say it because it's real. It acknowledges that even as a pastor, which people want to put on a pedestal, and I remove, I, I step off every chance I get, just to say, look, the only, only focus is about Jesus. The heart of worship is all about Jesus. It's all about him. He is the only perfect one in this room. We come to worship him, okay? And so this morning, I say, Father, I need you. 
I need you more than I've ever needed you before. I need you in this place right now. Help us. Holy Spirit, be our ears to hear, our eyes to see, our hearts open to understand. I I know from your word, the scripture says that apart from you, I can do nothing. Lord, I also acknowledge that I'm so grateful that I'm no longer apart from you, that I'm joined to you, that I'm a new creation, that I am in Christ and that Christ is in me. And because of that, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so I give you the glory. I ask you today for the Spirit of God to move and shine a light in the hearts of your people. Lord, I ask you particularly for clarity and for brevity and let your word be established in our hearts. Let Jesus be Lord. Let the Spirit of God have free reign because where the Spirit is Lord, there is liberty. Thank you for liberty and freedom in Christ. It is the name of Jesus that we pray and all of God's people said, Amen. Point number one, the word is alive. The word is alive. Multitudes, multitudes of phenomenal authors, and I am a reader. I am a voracious reader of multitudes of books that are, that are stacked and given so many away. And a whole wall of books in my office here and a whole room with bookcases all the way around my office upstairs at my house, <clears throat> every bookcase in the house is filled, boxes of books in the attic, and probably about 2,000 on this laptop. I'm on this iPad right here. And just constantly reading, constantly seeking, constantly looking, not just about biblical or spiritual things, but about history and about ethics and about politics and about uh, just things that make a difference in our lives. I'm always trying to learn. I'm a student And there's a distinction between the B-I-B-L-E and all the other books of the world. William Shakespeare has written words that have touched generations. Multitudes of other authors have been able to say things, put them into print, into writing, and fired up a generation to accomplish great things, sometimes for good and sometimes for not so good. The distinction between all of these other books is that the one that we're talking about is alive, it's living. It's, it's more than just black letters on white paper, maybe including some red letters if you have a red letter edition, which are the words of Jesus in your Bible. But I, I'm grateful for that and I'm thankful for the record. I, I, I'm thankful it's not just a dead record. It's not just something that has been transcribed. It's not something that was dictated, but it was something that was written by men who carried the burden of the Holy Spirit, who's who, who, who delivered the word of God and it came through their personality. Who they were touched that word and affected that word. The, the Bible is a book of over, is a collection of 66 books written by 40 authors over a period of about 1,500 years. And the synthesis of this amazing book is this grand narrative of one who is coming throughout the whole Old Testament. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. The Gospels, he's here. He lives and he dies in the book of Acts. He is alive and now he's multiplied into a people in the epistles. The, this one speaks in the book of Revelation. This one reigns. And so this whole book is about one character. It's, uh, as much as I want to try to read myself into it sometimes, it's really about this one individual, this God-man, this Emmanuel, this God in the flesh, Jesus, Son of God, God the Son. The whole thing's about him. 
And so as I recognize that, I realize that I'm handling something that is very different. Where the Word of God is able to penetrate a society, the gospel begins to affect and change. And where the gospel touches, liberty begins to be experienced. People that have been oppressed shake off the shackles of bondage and begin to experience freedom, not just from personal sin, addictions and habits and, 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 and bad pursuits of, uh, of cyclical kind of things that are pulling them downward. But it's, but it's also about just a, a release of, of political oppression and dominance and totalitarian states have tried to squish it out. Dictators and tyrants have tried to burn it. But yet there's something lasting because you can't kill this Bible because it's alive. You can't kill the Word of God. They've tried to snuff it out. They've tried to remove its influence. But I'm telling you, every time you drive it in and under, there is a revival that takes place. I'm not, a fear, I'm not afraid for the persecution of the church that I believe is coming that's ahead for us. Because I think it's going to separate the sheep from the goats. And I think that it's going to set the church into a place of really being the light and the fire and the flame for the sake of the kingdom of God. Send it, Lord. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Help us to be a faithful witness until you do. Be about the business of occupying until he comes. For too long in my lifetime, the church has been preoccupied with when he's coming instead of occupying until he comes. The word is alive. Hebrews, one of my favorite passages, I put this on a three by five card. And in between classes at Arkansas State University from 79 to 83, I memorized scripture. And this is one of the very first ones, that first semester that I memorized out of the King James Version. It says, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of joints and marrow and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It separates the soul and the spirit as much as the joints and the marrow. The, the Bible tells us the life of flesh is in the blood, but we can even go deeper than that. That's Leviticus 17, 11. But literally where the blood is made, running in the, the very core of your bones, the marrow of the bones, the writer of Hebrews says that this living word has the ability to, to distinguish between things that otherwise are so close together in proximity and alike and similar that it is the only thing that has the ability to separate those things, joints and marrow. You talk to an orthopedic surgeon, he's going to talk to you about the importance of both of those. There is no healthy marrow that creates blood apart from a joint that supplies where bones are connected. It's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The scripture goes on to say that there's nothing hidden from him before the eyes of him who created us, the one who made us. We can't hide. I remember as a kid hiding under one of those quilts my granny made because mom and dad said go to bed and I had a flashlight and I wanted to read. I always loved to read and I would be under my bed with my flashlight and under, not under the bed, but under the, under the, 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 the quilt, you know, and God even knows. God is not just outside looking, but he's, he's under the quilt with you, whatever you're hiding this morning. Everybody, let me just tell you something. Nothing's hidden from him. Somebody say amen. amen. The word is alive. The, it's quick and powerful. You know, we don't use that word anymore today unless you're talking about pulling your fingernail down into the quick. And that's when you remember that that part is still alive. There's a part out there on the end that's dead that we clip off. But you pull it down into that little pink part right there, and it's alive, baby. 
And all of a sudden, you remember that it's still alive because it hurts. And you, there's sometimes nothing that hurts so bad as pulling a little edge or having a hangnail and pulling it down into the quick or have mercy on your big toe. Oh, my Lord, have mercy. Help me, Jesus. <clears throat> it's amazing how something so small can affect every, the rest of your whole body. The word is foundational in the disciples' life. It's like to see, food to sustain, comfort to cheer, water to wash, and an example to follow. This living word is not just uh, black letters on white paper, but to say this is to recognize that the word is a person and his name is Jesus. There are two in the beginnings in the Bible. The very first one in Genesis, which means beginning. In the, beginning, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. And the very next thing that happens is God said. Everybody say the word. So he spoke, okay? So the first thing is the Spirit of God comes and hovers over our lives and draws us in preparation for what we're about to hear. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, by the gospel, by the good news of the word of Christ. Spirit of God draws us, prepares us. We hear the word, something gets in there. That word penetrates the soil of our souls. Remember, it's the living thing that can distinguish between soul and spirit, joints and marrow, thoughts and intentions of the heart. My soul is my mind, my will, my emotions. My mind is what I think. My will is what I want. My emotions are what I feel. And sometimes I can't distinguish between what I want and what I think and what I feel and what the Spirit of God is saying to me, my soul and my spirit. And it's so easy to get those two confused. But the Word of God is the only thing that has the ability to get in between those two areas that are so intertwined, like the joints and the marrow and the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. When we say heart, we're not talking about here in the middle of your chest where your blood pump is, but the heart of man really is in your gut. Paul wrote about bowels of mercies and bowels of compassion. The, the Bible says in Proverbs 21, 27, or it may be 20, 27. I'm a little, CD gets off track once in a while. And he said this, it says, The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord searching all the inward parts of the belly. And so when we talk about our spirit, the heart of man, or again, not the, the four-chambered ventricle oracle blood pump, this muscle here in the middle, slightly to the left in your chest, but we're talking about the heart, the core, the very center of who you are as a, as a human being made in the Imago Dei, in the image of God. It's this spirit that until Christ comes in your life, it's dead. And then he quickens you. He makes you alive. The Bible says in Ephesians 2 that we've been quickened together in Christ and raised up with him. Thank God that he made us alive. Somebody say amen. And we were made alive by the word. The spirit hovered over us and then the word spoke. The other in the beginning is in the New Testament. The first one is in the book of Genesis. The second one is in the book of John, which is the sort of reiteration of the beginning of the new creation. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and His life was the light of men. So the Word is a person. The Word is Jesus he is the living word. It cannot die. It cannot be destroyed. 
no matter how many demonic, evil-inspired tyrants or totalitarian states attempt to, to snuff it out, the Word of God is going to last. The church has lasted for gen- two, 20 generations, I'm sorry, for 20 centuries, and guess what? It will last through the 21st century. Come on, somebody. Whether your guys in the White House or not it has nothing to do with whether or not the church is still going to be around because Jesus is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against her. Somebody. (laughs) Nothing hidden. Point number two. Jesus' own use of the word is seen in the Gospels. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, verse 7, verse 10. We see this amazing story of how Jesus in the previous chapter had just been baptized by his cousin John He'd come up out of the water. John said, you know what? You ought to be baptizing me because John had just gotten the revelation. John 1.29 says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He'd seen Jesus come walking up the dusty road. He was standing in the water baptizing people, calling sinners to repentance. And Jesus stepped into the water and John says, you should baptize me. And Jesus said, no, allow this thing to be so to fulfill all righteousness John the Baptist, not a denominational Baptist with a capital B, but a little b because he was the baptizer. He's baptizing his cousin Jesus, goes down into the water. Jesus comes up out of the water, and the Scripture says that a voice from heaven spoke and says, Behold, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Everybody around thought that it had thundered. How many of you know it has everything to do with whether you have perception and the ability to hear sometimes when it comes to the things of God? Some folks just think it's a big clamoring storm that's brewing. But many times it's the Spirit of God that's whispering to our hearts. Others thought an angel had spoken. Jesus knew what had been said because he heard it clearly. And the Scripture says the Spirit of God, like a dove, not a dove, but like a dove. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, the Holy Ghost is not a bird. Like a dove. In, in, in other words, the way that a dove would light on something The scripture says the Holy Spirit sat like a dove. I remember a few years ago, my firstborn, my son's into the whole hunting thing. And man, I bought the camo and went down to Ann's and I spent a bunch of money. And man, we had shotguns and we had all this stuff. And we hunted dove and we hunted duck and we got calls. And Drew was really just like his sister, very musical, learning to play the guitar. And I bought him a real pricey duck call. Way, way, way back then, spent about 300 bucks on a duck call that was made by one of the guys here in town. And these duck calls had been used at Stuttgart, the duck capital of the world. And Drew, because he's very musical and he has an ear, came through my side of the family. He had the ability to really develop a great, when he goes out with anybody, they say, Drew, you do the calling. Because he can call those ducks in. Because he's learned that sound and he knows how to use that instrument to make the sound that'll draw the ducks. And I remember, besides duck hunting, Dawn would always go, oh, please don't shoot those birds. You know, the Holy Ghost was like a dove. I said, baby, the Holy Ghost is not a dove. It's not a bird. <laughs> and we would go out there and just have the best time in, in doing that with my, me and my son. And I'll be honest, I'm, I'm not into it. Don't, don't think less of me. My dad, we had two sets of kids. I've got a sister who's 77, a brother who's 74, I'm 60, and my younger brother is 57, so there's literally two sets of kids 14 years apart. By the time the second set of kids came along, Daddy was tired. 
So he didn't hunt or fish by that point. He, was, he didn't want to. He just wanted to sit down. He'd been working hard all his life, worked on the farm, mechanic. I mean, he would, be, he would leave before sunup. He would come home sometimes during harvest after 10 o'clock at night, working on the cotton pickers, working on the, 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 the harvesters, the, the big things that brought in the wheat and the whatever, the corn and everything. Uh, the stuff's breaking down and daddy's out there. So during harvest season, he got up before I was awake and he came home sometimes after we were in the bed. And, you know, just, just grateful for all that I saw that my family and my dad was willing to do for his children to be provided for. And so when, because I didn't go through that, I didn't, I didn't learn that. I didn't get out with my dad and hunt and all that. I've got a kid coming along and he's hanging around with all these friends that want to do it. And Dawn said, you better go get you some camo and learn how to shoot a gun. And so we, we got some guns and we got some camo and we, duck, we got duck calls and I made investments and stuff that I could not give a rat's to patoot about just because I love my son. And so we get out, got out and did it, and we, we enjoyed it, and I actually started to like it. Although, and this isn't in my message, but I'm going to take time to tell it anyway because it's hilarious. I remember Drew's probably about 13 years old, and it's the end of the season, and it's in January, and it's the last day to duck hunt, and Dawn is kicking me in the bed about 3.30 in the morning, and she said, this is the last day you've promised him. You better get up out of this bed and go take him out there. We had a little, little piece of land that several people in the church were sort of renting together, and we'd flooded the field together, and we had some ducks coming in. Drew and I got up out there, went up out there that morning. We're sitting in the duck blind. <clears throat> Wind is blowing. First of all, I just said, you know what, son? If it's too cold and there's too much ice for the ducks to land, I ain't got no business being out here. This just was what I, what I felt about. And, and, and that morning, Drew always struggled with, with just this enormous amount of allergy and everything, and he was always hocking up everything. And that morning, he just hocked it up, and he just let it fly, and the wind caught it, and it came right back and hit me right here. And I looked at him, and I said, Son, you don't tug on Superman's cape. You don't spit into the wind. <laughs> It was just one of those moments, crazy, crazy, crazy moments. Forgive me for taking the time to tell you that, but it kind of makes me a little more real, okay? And I, I'm grateful. Jesus was driven into the wilderness to be tempted. The scripture says in Mark, immediately Jesus was driven. The, the Bible says in Matthew and Luke, it's a little bit more uh, soft-pedaled. It says immediately the Spirit of the Lord led Jesus in the wilderness to be tempted of Satan. If you're in a wilderness right now, Take stock of where you are and don't forget the importance of the word because Jesus showed us how to come out of the wilderness stronger than we were when we went in. Matthew 1 uh, and Matthew 4, Luke 4, both say Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit, but when he came out, it says he came out in the power of the Spirit. So whatever you're going through right now, if you feel like you're lost in the middle of a wilderness, get the word in your heart, put it first place, and start using it the way Jesus did. Satan came to Jesus to tempt him, which is what he does. Part of his, part of his MO, his modus operandi, is to tempt, to deceive, and to accuse. He tempts us with things that we shouldn't do. If he can't make us sin, he'll make us busy. Think about that. And then once he's caught us in something, he deceives us to think, oh, well, I can control this. It's just a little temporary thing on the side. And then once he's got you completely entangled in it, he accuses you. Every time Jesus was tempted by Satan, 
the enemy said to him, if you really are the Son of God, if you be the Son of God, first of all, he'd been fasting 40 days and he was hungry. And the first thing Satan hit Jesus with was something physical. If you're really the Son of God, take these stones, speak and make them become bread. And Jesus said this to him in Matthew 4, 4. Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8. Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceedeth, King James, E-T-H, which means presently progressive in the Greek. It's proceeding right now. As a... Bible-believing Christian. I believe in the authority and the inspiration of the Word of God. I believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. But I want to tell you, just because the translators have written after the 22nd chapter of the book of Revelation, the words, the end, that doesn't mean that at that moment God went mute. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that is is continually proceeding out of the mouth of God. I believe God is talking to you right now. Most of the time, we are not paying attention. So we just think it's thundering. We think it's a commotion, it's a stir, but it's in the still small voice. Too many times we're looking for drama and sensation. Sometimes real miracles are not always sensational. Sometimes they're in the quiet moment of being able to hear the still small voice of the Spirit of God. Abby texted me yesterday and he said, she said, Dad, pray for me. I've got some life decisions that I'm making right now. She's been in California and been on a fast, just seeking the Lord and praying for direction. And I said, okay. Uh, And so she called me to elaborate a little bit and sort of expand it a little bit more specifically. And I said, okay, remember, baby, the Word is a lamp to your feet and a light to your path, Psalm 119, 105. Get the Word. Do not let prayer be your last line of defense. Let it be your first line of defense. And go to the word first. Go to the word first. We're going to talk about that in just a second. And I said, I will pray for you. She said, pray pray for me, Dad. And and my text before we talked on the phone in a phone call, I said, oh, baby girl, I do that every day, all caps, every day of my life. I pray for her. I pray for Drew and Holly and Henry. I pray for this church every day. That comes out of my mouth. God bless. God direct. God help us. Heal us challenge us, forgive us, wherever we are. Everybody's struggling in some kind of way. Lord, show us, teach us, let us find the placement of your word as first place in our lives. And so Jesus, three times is tempted. So I told her, I said, baby, to get the word, get it in your life. There is a proceeding word that God is speaking right now. Every one of you in the spirit of man, in the spirit inside of you, you have a receiver that will receive the signal from heaven. The thing is, is it turned on Once you get it turned on in the new birth, is it tuned in? That's where the Spirit of the Holy Spirit comes in and begins to fine tune us so that we can hear the voice of the Lord in our lives. God is speaking. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and they will not listen to the voice of a stranger. And so Jesus is not entertaining any of this nonsense from Satan. He looks at him and he quotes the word every time. He's tempted three times in body, soul, and spirit. You know what? Throw yourself off the temple. Didn't he say that the, the angels have charge over you and you won't even dash your foot against a stone? You know, look here. All It takes him to the mountaintop. Look at all the kingdoms of the world. He said, bow down before me. 
He says, and I will give them to you, and I'm going to skip the second one, but jump, go ahead and jump to the third one. It's Matthew 4, verse 10. Jesus said, get out of my face. Leave. Get out of here. Jesus told him, he said, get out of here, Satan, adversary. Jesus told him, for the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Now, I'm not, not going to bow down to you because the enemy will always try to get you to circumvent the cross in your life. Jesus knew that the kingdoms of the world were all his, but he was going to acquire them on the other side of the cross. He was going to be the substitutionary sacrifice for those that the Father knew before the foundation of the world. The enemy was saying, hey, I can give it to you right now. And that's what he always does. He promises you a get-rich-quick scheme. You don't have to do all of that. You don't have to pay your dues. You don't have to follow through and stay committed. You don't have to keep your vows. These things that you've said, all that's really meaningless. And Jesus said, get out of my face. We worship God and him only do we serve. And the scripture says Satan left him. Jesus came up out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. No matter what you're facing, Jesus was tempted. And everything that you know in the human experience, the Bible says, yet without sin. And that's why he can be your Savior and mine. That's why he can strengthen you in the face of whatever temptation that you are dealing with right now. And everybody in this room has got something. has a different flavor for every one of you. You're tempted with stuff that I'm not. I'm tempted with stuff that you're not. Therefore, we need to have mercy for each other just because we don't understand. <laughs> Alcohol has never been an issue for me. I've never ever in my life wanted to have more than the second glass of wine or a couple of beers or whatever or a drink or two, and that's just enough. I just don't, I don't want to be out of control. I'd have no, nothing pulls me into that. But you put a cheesecake in front of me and I can lose my mind. I, don't even look at me at that tone of voice. I, that's my sin. I'm confessing it to you. And you know what? I've, I've eaten clean all week long, and I'm probably going to have, go have more than one piece of cheesecake today because it's my cheat day. Glory to God in the highest. <laughs> but I've learned how to manage it. I've learned how to live in some moderation. Otherwise, I wouldn't be about 120 pounds down and still trying to pursue the last 15. <laughs> it ain't coming off as fast as it used to come off. I don't know what the deal is, but anyhow. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You're tempted with stuff. And we have this thing that we think, oh, we're the only one that struggles with this. You know what? It's common demand. It doesn't mean everybody in the room has all the same temptations. But it means that we ought to recognize that we're human and that God knows our frame. He knows our frailty. That's not an excuse to stay in it and just take a bath in it and just be defeated. But it's, it's the reason that we all need to have mercy on our brothers and sisters. Just because I'm not tempted by what you are doesn't mean I ever have the right to judge you. By the way, let me just say something to you. Do not ever judge a person's story by the chapter you walk in on. Because you don't know what they're going through. You don't know what got them there to that place where they are. All I want you to remember is, is there ain't nothing in this room you can do that puts you so far out of God's reach that he can't bring you back and get you healed and whole and saved and delivered and set free, made free. 
Three things. Jesus is tempted and he responds with the word. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. The word hide in the original Hebrew literally means to treasure it, to value it, to set it in a place of honor, to revere it. Third point this morning, pay attention. Look at your neighbor and say, pay attention. And man, this wasn't in my notes. I just saw it. I just saw that line out of Sister Act. Is Lauren Hill, amazing, amazing young African-American singer. If you want to be somebody, if you want to go somewhere, you better sit up and pay attention. Those two black girls come together and sing this crazy, amazing harmony. And Whoopi Goldberg brings that choir out, and I just get the Holy Ghost every time I see the movie again. <laughs> Everybody say, pay attention. <laughs> Proverbs, another passage that I memorized my first year of college. My son, attend to my word. Incline thine ear into my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Let's get it in a newer translation. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. He says, do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. He says, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Something in this living book, this living word, that when I get it into my heart, it starts to fuss with me and work with me and transform me from the inside out. Shows me who I am, not who I used to be. It strengthens me and gives me grace to face the problems and the circumstances that I'm dealing with. And when I pay attention, I remember my daddy gave me some instructions one time when I was probably 14 or something, I didn't, somewhere around in there. And he came back an hour later and I hadn't done what he said. And he looked at me and he said, son, I told you to tend to it and you didn't. You know what that is? That's kind of three generations ago, the way they talked. So much of it was from the word, the Bible, and they didn't even know it because that's mostly what they read. Tend to it. Look at your neighbor and say, tend to it. That's kind of, that's kind of Arkansas for give attention Pay attention to my word. My son, attend unto my words. Tend to it. Everybody say, tend to it. Tend to it means right now. I remember daddy started spelling one day because he was so aggravated. He said, I told you now. K-N-O-W-E now. And you better get up and get it done. And I went through that. I went through that season where I thought my dad was the dumbest man on the planet. God forgive me. And I came back here at 28 and started this church and dad and I, really forged a bond so deep. I'm so thankful. I love my dad. I love him to this day. I could tear up if I keep talking. I miss him. I miss his wit. Dad was not an educated man, but he was wise. He, he knew things. He, he knew human nature. He watched people. He was a phenomenal, accurate, right kind of a judge of character. I remember being so mad at him when I was about 15 and I was a, had a smart mouth and I, I just said, I didn't ask to be born into this family. And without even thinking, he said, yeah, and if you had, I'd have told you no. <laughs> kind of big-eyed. But dad said, tend to it. Give attention to it. What does give attention to? It means put it first place. Prioritize this thing. Prioritize my instruction. Obey. Pay attention to what I'm telling you to do because when you do that, blessing will come. You know what? Not, not only should we give it first place, but after all the other voices have weighed in, after all the other opinions have stated their case, the Word of God should have final authority in our lives. 
when it's all been said and done, when you've run the polls, when the research is out there, when everybody's told you what you should do on social media, really the last voice you should listen to is what does the word say? What does the Bible say? What does Jesus expect of me as a new creation believer? Don't care what everybody else is doing. Don't even really care what other Christians or the church is doing. Is this the way Jesus would act? Am I to respond to this set of circumstances like this? Or should I be looking for God to help me do this differently? Oh, if people would just do that before they hit post, before they hit send. Somebody say amen. We need to commit to read, to study, to memorize the Word of God. I, I started doing that when I was 18 years old. I read through the Bible my first year of college. I had a Bible revival. I couldn't put it down. I would go to class. I would come back home and just read because there was something moving and alive. I was having a, a, the Spirit of God was drawing me. And I read through the, the New Testament twice and I read through the whole Bible once that first year of college. And I, I couldn't put it down. I was leaving the room every morning. I would get up early and I would write a scripture on a three by five card and stick it in my pocket. And in between classes, walking from Wilson Hall to Old Science or whatever, I would take that out and just read it. If there's nobody was around me, I would mutter that scripture because that's what the word meditate means, to mutter. So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but shall accomplish that which I please and shall prosper in the thing whereunto I send it. Isaiah 55, 11. That, pat, that time in my life, I hid so much. I, I treasured so much. I put so much. I me- memorized so much of the word of God in my life. I'm grateful for that. And over the years, I've read so many new translations because you can get familiar with a passage. You can, say, you can start to think that you've squeezed all the juice out of the 23rd Psalm. Those grapes don't have any more juices in them. And when you start thinking that way, it's dangerous because you're familiar with it and you, you, you don't realize that this is the living Word of God. And so I read it in another translation just for the pure shock value. I remember reading in the message, the Lord is my shepherd. He's all I want. And I was like, wow, that's good. good." And so after reading the Bible through about 50 times, I did it at 18. I'm 60 years old now. Some years I read it twice. Some years I started into it the third time. And this year I've been doing it differently. I've been listening to the Bible instead of reading it because you use a different part of your brain. When you read something, you're translating these symbols, these letters which make words, which put together make a sentence, which gives us a thought. And then I'm reading all that and I'm getting these thoughts in my head and then I'm sort of ingesting it that way. But when you listen to something, you use a whole different part of your brain. And so some things can come alive in ways that you've never really paid attention to before. And so I've started this habit that, I've, that I'm developing this year where the first thing I do when I wake up in the morning, my, my phone, I have a king-size bed and it's just me. And so I reach over, it's over far away from me, but I reach over to it and I pull open this app. It's free, version, Holy Bible. And I pull open the Word of God and I lay in there in the dark. 21. And I saw a new heaven. And a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride, a bride. adorned for her husband. Yes. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the Behold, tabernacle of God is with men. The tabernacle of God is with men. 
and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and he will be their God. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. Isn't that good? So the first 10 minutes of the morning, I'm listening to the word of God. And sometimes things just literally, I just go, wow, why have I never seen that? Why have I never heard that before? And then the last thing I do at night when the television's off, the lights are out, I'm not reading anything on my iPad and I'll set it over there and I'll listen to a chapter or two. So it's the first thing I hear in the morning. It's the last thing I get at night. Well, yeah, you're a preacher. We expect you to do that. You know, how could your life possibly change if you would just give five minutes a day? I'm not a reader, somebody said. Okay, fine. You don't have to be, you don't have to be a voracious reader and read books ridiculous. I'm a book nerd. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm, I'm, I just tell you, I love to read. I love to read all kinds of stuff. But some folk are not built like I am. Some folk, you know what? Maybe you're mechanical and you can just, you have all these gifts. And guess what? I'm at your mercy when it comes time to repair my dishwasher. I got to have a mechanical person. And so you're not a reader. So get this free app on your phone. And whether it's 10 minutes at lunch or whether it's the first thing you do in the morning or the last thing you do at night or whenever you do, give some time to the word of God. Put it first place in your life. We don't have any excuse in this day. We are so blessed with so much technology. And don't be afraid of technology. Paul used the Roman roads to share the gospel. We can use the internet and a social media platform to do good things and not bring division in our nation. Read it, listen to it, study it, memorize it. Finally, I'm finished. Have you got anything out of this today? Four questions. Four questions. Question to ask when you open the Bible and read it, when you open it and listen to it. Number one, is there a command to be obeyed? Obedience still has a blessing. Jesus, not Jesus, I'm sorry, Isaiah the prophet, Jesus quoted him more than any other of the other prophets. Isaiah 119 says, if you be willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. How many of you want to be blessed? You want your job to flourish. You want your stocks to prosper. If you have any investments, you want the time you invest into your spouse and into your children. You want to raise champions. Come on, let's get, let's get rid of this minimalist. Oh God, just let me keep him out of jail. Been there, done that. God, help me to raise a son, a daughter, children. Help me to raise them to know who you are and who they are in you and to lean into you and that they can do amazing things if they'll put their trust in the Lord. Trust God, work hard, never quit. Number one, is there a command to be obeyed? When we obey what God says do, his blessing always follows. Number two, is there a promise to be believed? Folk, there are more than 8,000 promises in all of the Word of God, 66 books, Genesis to Revelation, that speak to every aspect of your life. It'll feed you when you're hungry. It'll quench your thirst when you're thirsty. It'll give you light when you're in the dark. It will bring clarity when you're in confusion. It'll bring direction when you're looking at a map trying to figure out which way to go with your life. Now, you know what? There's not a place where you can open up the Bible and point to a scripture that says, Take that job with FedEx instead of the job with international paper. It's not there. But you know what? There is all of this wisdom, and God gives you a brain. I, I, I refuse to have a church that's all about emotional experience and where we have the people check their brains at the door. 
God wants you to think to his glory, to reason. Sometimes you have two great opportunities. And the thing is, okay, which one am I going to choose? And let me just say this to you. Do you know whichever one you choose? If your heart is right, God's going to bless you whichever way you go. Do you know that? Sometimes it's not about right or wrong. Sometimes it's just about, okay, Father, which one is better suited for me? Which one lines up with my gifts and my heart? Which one am I going to be really fulfilled in? And so... I just want to remind you this morning to lean into the promises of God and and to think, reason, think through with your mind, with your soul, with your heart, all these things and bring them together. Point number three, is there an example to be followed? The Bible is so amazing because it doesn't just give us the examples of people who did everything right. Thank God it gives us David's sin of adultery with Bathsheba to show people that when they miss it that there is a way back through repentance and God will restore. And and God tapped a guy on the shoulder to be a deliverer of the nation of Israel who was a murderer. Abraham was a liar. God made him the covenantal father of faith. Are you hearing me? These people that we look up to, they had faults and sin just like you and I do. And if you, if, you, if you grip yourself with a limiting belief or a mentality that says, well, I'm just not good enough or I'm not right for this, let me remind you that God, people, God used people all the time that weren't good enough. Is there a command to be obeyed? Is there a promise to be believed? Is there an example to be followed? And finally this morning, is there a principle to be applied Is there a principle that the Word gives to me that when I recognize that out of generosity, this principle, it says, give and it shall be given unto you. Now, lest you think I'm setting you up for the offering, I forgive you already because that's not even why I thought this. I just, it just rose up in my heart. When I give love, God returns, multiplies love to me. If you want to have friends, the proverb says you got to show yourself friendly. Some of you ain't got none because you ain't one. You old cuss. I mean, you're just a big old cranky old thing. Why do you th- who do you think wants to be your friend? Get a, get a smile. Get, some, get a reason to recognize you've got something to be joyful about. Even if your happenings of your life don't make you happy, happy you can still have joy. You can choose joy. All right, I'm, I'm finished. The principle is this. Whatever it is, given it shall be given. Honor. When you give honor to others, honor returns. When you respect others, respect. When you are a friend to others, God gives you more friends. When you show love, love comes back. Whatever you sow as a seed ends up being multiplied in your life. That's a principle. Apply it. Apply it. Apply it at work. Apply it in your home. Apply it to your spouse. Come on, if all you do is nag and gripe about what she doesn't do right, guess what? You're just going to get that back in seed form. It's going to be multiplied to you. Learn how to bless. Learn how to encourage. Learn how to strengthen. Learn how to give grace. How many of you love me this morning? Come on. Trying to keep it real. Trying to, trying to tell the truth. Is there a command to be obeyed? Is there a promise to be believed? Is there an example to be followed? Is there a principle to be applied? Help us, Holy Spirit, today as we bow our hearts, close our eyes, nobody looking around.
If anything in this message has resonated in your soul and you would say, Pastor, I want to grow. I want to, I want to know this word the way you're talking about it. I want to commit to listen or to read through. I just, I'm facing something and I need, whatever your need is, you fill in the blank. If you would just say, Pastor, please pray for me. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, nobody's looking around. If that's you, slip up your hand. I want to pray for you. Anybody in the room? Yes, my goodness, there's a half a dozen hands went up all over the room. Now, if you've never personally crossed the line of faith and said, Jesus, be my Savior and Lord, you know what? You've got a spirit in you, but it's dead. You've got the equipment to receive a message from heaven's signal, heaven's Wi-Fi. But you've got to turn that thing on and you've got to tune it in. And that happens when you bring Jesus and you open the door and say, come into my heart, forgive my sins, fill me with your Holy Spirit. If you've never crossed that line of faith, you can't earn it or deserve it. You simply acknowledge, Jesus, I need you. Save me. I trust you. So this morning, if that's you, heads are bowed, eyes are closed, nobody's looking around. Would you slip your hand up this morning? Anybody in the room? Yes, I thank you. There's a hand back there. This morning, today, as we pray, those of you that lifted your hands, I want you to take a step, speak this out loud, because words are how we cut a covenant, how we make an agreement with God. We say it, okay? If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says you will be saved. When you got married, you said the vows. You said, I do. You made a commitment. And so right now, everybody in the room, I'm going to ask you, those of you who even didn't raise your hand, let's pray this prayer together, everybody out loud, and let's pray along with these that are in a place of need, and let's support them in Jesus' name as we pray. Come on, follow me now and say these words. Father, thank you for this word. Make it first place in my life. I prioritize it. Change me. I turn to you. I say these words. Jesus, save me. I trust you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Forgive my sins. I turn from my past. I turn to you in faith. I ask you to be Lord of my life. Give me direction. Give me guidance. Give me, meet my needs, Lord. I ask you for this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Put your hands together.